Welcome to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a fare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. 
And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved, mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um, erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and Pira support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. So before we dive into this episode today, I'm just going to give just a huge disclaimer and trigger warning. This episode is about red meat, breaking down the misunderstanding around red meat for endo and the nutritional benefits of red meat for the endo community. It is evidence-based and I hope I've done my best to provide, uh, well, I have done my best (laughs) to provide a balanced approach in this conversation. However, you know, I understand that this discussion won't be for everyone. Um, I really appreciate that for many of us, this is a very difficult conversation, which is why I try to take a very kind of subtle, gentle, balanced approach to me in my courses, my book, my coaching, my Instagram posts. You know, I'm, I am trying to always provide the evidence whilst also being as considerate as possible. But I do think it's important that we talk about Um, We talk about the confusion around meat and for those of you who want to eat meat or need to eat red meat for health reasons, you know, I want to ensure you have the correct information and guidance, which is why we have Katie with us today on the show. Um, Today's episode is with the amazing Katie Edmonds. Katie is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and educator and author specializing in helping women with endo. She's the creator of HealEndo.com, a free and comprehensive resource for anyone with endometriosis. And she's the author of the four-week endometriosis diet plan and Heal Endo, an anti-inflammatory approach to healing from endometriosis. 
Katie speaks about red meat and endo so well and is so deeply knowledgeable on this subject that I knew instantly I wanted her to be the one to come on the show and to chat about this tricky topic. And so in today's episode, we discuss where the fear of red meat for for endometriosis comes from, why this information is misleading and can be problematic for the endo body, the nutritional benefits of red meat and why you might want to consider adding it to your diet if, you know, ethically you're open to it. Real reasons why people with endo can and do feel better when they remove red meat, but why this still doesn't mean that red meat is bad. Her three tiers of meat priority, 100% grass-fed, organic or factory farmed. How to properly eat red meat to gain the most nutritional benefits. And if you don't want to eat red meat for ethical or religious reasons, what you can do to ensure you're getting enough nutrients. And, you know, a final trigger warning, this conversation does discuss organ meat. And at points, I even, you know, I even found it a bit gruesome as someone who was vegan for a very long time for ethical reasons. And, you know, many of you know, I had to start eating meat a while ago due to my SIBO difficulties and and struggling to absorb nutrients. And I'm not 100% at peace with that from an ethical, you know, standpoint. So, I even, as someone who has been eating meat now for about I don't a year or two, I can't, I can't quite remember. Um, I I found it challenging, um, kind of listening to some of those bits about organ meats, um, just because I'm not used to that kind of conversation. And um, yeah, it's it's can be graphic, so feel free to skip through parts if you need to. But there's some incredible information in here about the benefits of meat. So if you're if you are able to tune into this episode. Um, I think you'll find it really informative. Um, I also want to say that there was so much in this conversation that we, you know, we wanted to cover um, and we couldn't cover it all. So Kate recommends reading her blog post if you want to continue learning more. And I can't recommend that blog post enough. It's brilliant. Um, And of course, you can learn more through working with her directly or if you just want to dip your toe in. And, you know, I have a nutrition masterclass that covers red meat in there and just meat in general. Um, Or, of course, there's also my courses, which have entire modules dedicated to this, but they're not out. Those courses aren't out at the moment. The masterclasses you can, you can grab at any time, but I do recommend starting with her blog and just taking it from there. Lastly, Katie and I did our absolute best to make this conversation balanced and considerate. And I ask you to please not come after us with pitchforks or begin sending, you know, really horrible hate emails or Instagram posts. Um, we really give, you know, Katie and I give everything to this community and we try our best to serve this community in every way possible, um, including with this discussion. So please try to be respectful and remember we are just two human beings trying to have a hard conversation. As I said, if you're vegan and you feel very strongly about this topic, please just skip this episode rather than listening. Um, and Katie and I were actually discussing this before the show that lots of coaches, dietitians, and nutritionists in this community are literally leaving this space because of trolling and unfair criticism. Um, and they just can't emotionally take it anymore. Um, and it's so sad that this community is losing people who are actually helping, um, because of this social media trolling problem that we're having in society today. So I just kind of want to remind you, you know, even if you don't agree with the conversation, um, be kind. We don't have to agree, but I think it's, it's always fair to be kind. Um, all right. A million disclaimers aside, let's get to the show because it's a brilliant one and I hope you find it helpful and informative. 
hi Katie and welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here and I'm actually so pleased to be talking about this subject and with you of all people because I think that you explain this in such a wonderful way. So yeah, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about red meat. It's kind of a strange topic to be excited to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I've I've kind of done a disclaimer already in the intro, but obviously I want to say for anyone who we are going to address, like if you don't eat red meat for ethical reasons or religious reasons, we are going to address that at the end, like how to um, kind of ensure your body's getting the nutrients it needs. You could skip to the end if you feel really triggered by this discussion and it's not for you you know, you can skip this episode, um, or, you know, read some of the, the bullet points that I'm going to put in the show notes, but we're not, we're going to try and take a very like considerate approach in this discussion, but I did want to give people a, a heads up of what we'll be talking about today. Right. It's not about if anyone has to eat red meat or, you know, definitely needs to, it has nothing to do with that. It really, we want to talk about, um, the research and where kind of the recommendations come from, um, kind of the myth of the recommendations really so that people have an option if you want to eat red meat um, you can feel free because the, there's not a lot of support for it in the literature or if not that's your choice too yeah absolutely so I think let's start with what we just mentioned that fear of red meat I think everyone kind of knows of it um, but where does that fear of red meat come from in the endo world and and where did that miscommunication kind of occur where did it begin yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel like it's kind of in an echo chamber. Like maybe someone mentioned it uh, two decades ago or something, and and it's just been picked up and it kind of goes back and forth. So now everyone's just repeating the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to investigate because I myself was a, you know, I was a pretty strict low-fat vegetarian for about 15 years. And I became, you know, <laughs> really sick. I had endometriosis. I have other autoimmune diseases. And I just, um, I felt awful. And when I started, I actually stumbled upon a book on on ancestral health, which is funny because now it's everywhere. I feel like everyone has heard of ancestral (laughs) health. Well, my first time I was, I found this book um, by an anthropologist, uh, dentist, which is a funny combination. uh, Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, Weston Price. Um, And this is, it wasn't a diet book. Like, let me tell you what to eat. He was saying, this is what people eating their ancestral diets eat. And is, you know, hundred years ago, you could find someone eating an ancestral diet in Switzerland and Ireland. He did Um, really tiny communities that were still eating the same foods that they had been for, you know, thousands of years. He went to Australia, New Zealand, North America, South America, Africa. And of course, everyone's eating completely different things, right? You don't eat the same thing if you live in Switzerland or Hawaii. But across the board, they were eating the same framework of what was allowed, you know, what grew there or uh, lived there. You know, everyone was eating animals snout to tail um, if that was available to them. There was one place that it was really hard to find game. But for the most part, everyone's eating red meat and they're Mm -hmm. not just eating muscle meat. That's like a tiny percentage, right? They're eating tons of organs. They're eating the bones, the skin, the cartilage. And, um, and they were thriving without chronic disease. So, um, you know, I'm super pissed really, because in my head, why weren't they dying? Like, these are the foods that will kill you. I was a devout vegetarian. Mm. Um, but it just stuck with me, uh, that they were really healthy and I had to reluctantly, we're just talking about this reluctantly decided to just kind of jump in and say, I literally have nothing to lose. 
And um, I started eating tons of organ meats, um, red meat I reintroduced. It wasn't necessarily easy, but um, within a month, I felt these profound shifts in my health. Um, I can't really wow. describe it better than the clouds lifting, brain fog going, and you know, chronic fatigue to not feeling like I had any chronic fatigue. Um, and since that time, I've gotten, you know, exponentially better. That was just the beginning of my health changes. But it was that, you know, it's this confusion of how come I just got so much better from changing my diet to incorporate these very strange foods that I didn't just think were bad. I kind of thought they would kill you like liver and heart and tongue, like who eats those things. Mm. So it kind of led me on this wild goose chase. Like why, where does this endo recommendation come from? Why have I been told that it's so bad for endometriosis if it kind of um, you know, it just really kicked me out of bed, like got me on my feet. And it's really shocking when you look at the research. So the, um, well, research kind of gives it a little more status than it is. So the, the most cited study about red meat endometriosis comes from the nurses health study. Yeah. I'm sure everyone's heard of it. Cause if you ever see don't eat red meat, it's almost always <laughs> it's the nurses health study. Yeah. The nurses health study is really cool. It's like the longest health study ever. I'm pretty sure. Um, and what they've done, they've followed these nurses for a few decades now. And what they do, this is how they, they understand what these nurses are doing. They give them a questionnaire every four years. So you're supposed to remember what you ate, what you drank, how you lived, your mental health, um, your symptoms and what diseases you have, um, et cetera, for the previous four years. Then they take all of that information and they can find some, you know, really interesting connections such as, well, people who are eating more red meat, um, were more likely to have endometriosis. However, that's like picking, you know, you're, you're just pulling apart one tiny thing. You're not looking at the overarching diet and lifestyle of these people. So if you, if you take a, you know, step back, what you see is these women who are eating more red meat, the red meat is almost always highly processed or refined, like spam, cold cuts, hot dogs, McDonald's mm -hmm. sort of thing. They're eating way more sugar. They're eating, um, they're drinking way more alcohol and they're, um, oh, they're smoking more. They're more likely yes, to smoke. Yeah. They're very sedentary. So this is a very, very unhealthy set of lifestyle choices, right? Um, so if you take that and you say, well, don't eat red meat. So you have to then take another step back and say, okay, red meat includes basically all meat from basically mammals, because if you look at the chemical makeup, red meat just includes all meat with the um, higher levels of the protein myoglobin in it. So that even includes the dark meat of chicken and turkey, if you're talking about it chemically. So what you're doing is you're saying, don't eat any animals that our ancestors literally have hunted and eaten for millions of years without having a huge bout of chronic disease or endometriosis, right? Like one in 10 weren't suffering from endometriosis. So what's the association there? Plus the, the red meat is an incredibly nutrient dense source. So depending on what um, piece of the animal you're eating, it's so high in glycine, which is an essential for fighting inflammation. It's incredibly high in iron and zinc, two nutrients. Those with endo are often extremely deficient in. Mm. It's high in vitamin A, K2. We have all of our B vitamins, CoQ10, which is a very potent antioxidant. It's really uh, concentrated in the heart muscle of animals. So I feel like there better be some really, really good research to say not to eat this entire food group, like every animal on earth. <laughs> <basically>. <laughs> Um, if it's associated with endometriosis and then you just have, oh, well, the nurse's health study says that it, it may be associated. 
um, which to me is kind of, you know, medical, it's like the medical population isn't necessarily saying it, but it's, it's negligence to me to use that observational study to say not to eat red meat. Um, yeah. Can, and, oh, sorry. Did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I, I've got it in my, in my course and, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, especially as we're recording this in the evening. So my brain's starting to go, but I think there's, there's a, there's like two there's a nurse's study and then maybe there's an Italian one I, I can't quite remember but I there's two that I remember distinctly and one was that it was looking at um women who were eating three or more servings of red meat a day um or or maybe it was three servings of red meat a day it was it was like a really significant amount and mm -hmm. then was it and then was it in the nurses studies it was it was like three times or more than three times a week but in the context of when one of them was written it was when we were being told again and again in the news like red meat's bad for you red meat's bad for mm -hmm. you so if you're making that choice to eat three servings a day of something that you're being told is is bad for you at the time then you have to wonder well what else what other nutritional choices are being made, uh -huh. you know, exactly. and also you're not going to, I, I highly doubt that you're going to be eating, you know, a grass fed steak for three meals a day. Like if someone's having yeah. red meat at lunch, what's it going to be? It's maybe it's ham. Right. And maybe for breakfast, it's like really highly processed. some sort of bacon that's fried at a really high heat. And, you know, exactly. like it's not, it, <laughs> You have to kind There's of question the context. Yeah. Right. It's like eating um, corn on the cob and eating a highly processed, refined um, corn product, you know, covered yeah, with. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Totally. And that's where, when you're cutting out a whole food group, you say, there better be evidence here. Like, are you saying just don't eat processed, refined, um, highly refined, you know, meat products, those canned things and the. Um, so that's exactly it. And when you, there's even observational, there's, there's a few, there's, I think there's two observational studies, including the nurse's health study that said, yes, red meat consumption is associated with endo. And then there was two that I found that were observational studies that said it had zip, like nothing to do with endometriosis. So you have competing studies and that's the beauty of observational studies is they ask questions and we say, this may or may not be associated. Let's investigate further. Mm -hmm. You know, let's do a lab study. Let's, um, let's see, you know, a little more specific targeted things. And we just don't have that with endo. No one sat down and no one will ever do this either. You know, get two groups of women who are eating the exact same thing. They have the exact same stress levels, the exact same movement levels. And just one of them gets placebo and one of them gets red meat. And then you look at how their endometriosis behaves or their symptoms. That's how you do like a really controlled study. So mm. that's, you know, possible. You can't control all of those factors. It'd be so, so expensive. Who would pay for that study? So what they do instead, you know, they just kind of connect the dots between other things. So you know, with when there's like a little bit of the specifics, you can start to pull out, okay, well, but, you know, maybe there's just observational studies, but we know that um, uh, red meat is really high in omega-6s and omega-6s promote inflammation. So we shouldn't eat red meat for that. So I dug into that one um, first. I dug into a few of these little myths. And this one was really, really interesting because um, I'm sure you've talked about this a, a lot. You know, the omega-3 to 6 ratio yeah. is really important in the body. You want a one-to-one, -one, you want the exact same amount of omega-3 to 6s, or you can have up to three three times more omega-6s, one-to-three ratio, okay? 
that's ideal. So in the American diet, I think the average ratio is one to 16. Is that similar in the UK? Uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit lower, but yeah, it's, it's similar. Something like that. Okay. So that's what, um, so then there's factory farmed meat, which has that skewed ratio one to 16. So people say, well, don't eat red meat because it has that skewed ratio. It's pro-inflammatory, um, which makes sense if you're just glancing off of it and you, you, you don't look more into it. So the the truth is, first of all, grass-fed beef does not have a skewed ratio. It's one to one or one to three. It's an animal eating its its natural diet won't have this incredibly skewed ratio because they're not being stuffed full of grains. Um, however, let's just look at that factory farm steak. There's the there's the ratio, and then there's the quantity. Okay, and the quantity of um, omegas in general, polyunsaturated fats in beef, is so minuscule. Like you would have to eat so much beef to just get your daily value of omega sixes because we need to eat <laughs> omega sixes, right? Like that, yeah. that's an essential part of our body. We're just eating way too much. You couldn't meet your recommended daily intake if you were eating factory farm beef because there's so little. There's a lot of saturated fat and monounsaturated fat, very, very little um, uh, omega threes. So even eating grass fed beef, you could never reverse an omega three deficiency with grass fed beef. It's like a drop in the pond that we're talking about a lake is what we need. Mm -hmm. So, um, so why is our omega six buckets overflowing? So to speak, if, you know, beef has been the scapegoat, everyone's eating beef and it's full of omega sixes. What's the issue? So this is so fascinating. Um, if you want to find what's 13 times, it has 13 times more omega sixes then beef, dairy, and eggs all combined, it's vegetable oils. Vegetable oils mm. have so many omega-6s. It is disgusting. They like, drive me nuts. I see yes. my dad like pile on like, you know, this kind of like low fat butter spread. And I'm like, oh, dad, please like listen to Just me. <laughs> It's just so awful because, you know, then, the, you know, nutrition governmental bodies push these oils as healthy and they are saturating our entire bodies with omega-6 fatty acids. It is horrendous. And the thing about eating, your body can only store so many polyunsaturated fats and that's just, you know, your omegas. It can only store so many. So if you're eating a ton of omega-6s, it would actually start to kick out your omega-3 storage. So you wow. could be eating, say like the same amount of salmon or omega-3 rich foods as um, let's just say your neighbor, but you're eating a lot of vegetable oils and your neighbor is not, you are going to be omega-3 deficient compared to your neighbor because it just dominated over your omega-3. So vegetable oils are really the, you know, I say red meat is the scapegoat here for vegetable oils and the veggie oil industry, which is really processed foods. You know, it's in every processed food. It's fancy names, canola oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, you call it rapeseed oil. Um, you know, they're, they're just, mm -hmm. they, they sound clean and neat and like plant-based and they are just awful, really awful. So that was a really fascinating dive into the research of just how, you know, I, I want to say don't eat factory farm meat, but even if we're talking omega sixes, it doesn't really seem to make a difference there. Yeah. And, and there's also the, I mean, it, I, I totally understand why people are scared of this topic because there are some dietitians and doctors who I adore, who are, you know, on social media and stuff. And I've seen their guides on endo and they say like, stay away from red meat because it's mm -hmm. high in saturated fat and is inflammatory. Yeah. Um, and, and I just, I wonder what your, what's your stance on that? Like how, because 
that's kind of a outdated notion, Very but it's outdated. still being yeah. promoted. And I wonder if I, I, I don't I don't want to question these people on that because I mean they're they're doctors and dietitians. They're more trained than I, I am. That, but I think a lot of people are questioning them now, especially with the rise of paleo and um you know, I don't want to even bring carnivore necessarily into it, but carnivore has been, I've been reached out by people who are literally only eating meat. And I think there's reasons they're feeling better. Um, but you know, this, this isn't going to, that, that saturated fat fear from the nineties, right. I think has carried over a lot, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I totally, I totally hear you. It's really hard to question, to question that. So I, you're right. That is totally outdated. I think that's really important for everyone to know. This is a completely outdated recommendation to avoid saturated fat. So saturated fat is one of like three whole groups of fat. So again, if you're demonizing saturated fats, that's like, it's the same thing. It's a whole fat group that your ancestors lived and thrived on. Um, your body uses saturated fat for hormones. Like I actually felt so much better when I increased my saturated fatty acid consumption through animal products. I think that was part of the thing. I just didn't have enough in me. It's a very stable fat to cook with. So I, I dug into the research on saturated fatty acids and endo. And, um, what I found was one study, one study of where this, this fear was coming from. I think they're lumping it together, but if you have heard, well, there's a study and what it showed is that women across the board with endometriosis were eating um, just about the same amount of saturated fatty acids as women without endo. So there was no association across the board except mm-hmm. for one. And there was one saturated fatty acid called palmitic acid that was elevated in these women with endometriosis. Um, and to take a step back, this was also an observational study. So no one was being tested for blood levels. This was just based on their dietary intake form. So we don't right. actually know if they were or not, but this is the one that stood out. So, um, so palmitic acid is found in animal products. It's found, it's obviously because it's saturated fat at coconut oil and palm oil. So the recommendation that someone could pull from this is, well, don't eat saturated fatty acids because women with endo had this one elevated. So first of all, in nature, no, it's very, very hard to elevate one single fatty acid so extremely. Um, so you think, well, why is it so isolated? Why is everything else static the same? And this one is isolated. So um, palmitic acid is actually the stored form of saturated fat. If you eat saturated fat, you will store it as palmitic acid. Mm-hmm. So animals who eat, um, who, who are eating certain diets can have a little more palmitic acid, specifically factory farm animals. They can have two to four times more palmitic acid. So if you're eating a ton of factory farmed food, like a ton, you might have elevated levels. But this is the, the thing that takes us back to vegetable oils is that- right. Um, Right. Palmitic acid is one of the number one food additives in processed food. It's isolated from palm oil. So it's plant-based, it's vegan, and it gives foods a really creamy, addictive mouth feel. So it's even added to dairy foods that are low fat, right? Like um, ice creams and pizzas and um, cheese that you get just to give it that extra oomph. You know, it can be plant-based, organic, vegan, gluten-free, or it can be, um, you know, your pizza shop down the road. It's just in thousands and thousands of, of processed foods. And right, okay. say, well, wait a second, we're going back to vegetable oils here and processed refined foods. And that it's this, it's a food additive that they, that can be one of the reasons why um, someone would have a really high level of elevation. And, you know, through a lot of this research, it kept coming back time and time again to vegetable oils and processed foods. And just seeing, I just was getting more and more frustrated that 
you know, cause I myself had fallen prey to this. I really thought I was doing well by being vegetarian and avoiding red meat. I would not touch red meat. It was the worst. It was awful for you, but I was eating a lot of processed foods and, you know, I thought it was health. I didn't think it was junk food back then. You know, it was like healthy organic processed foods and my organic cereals with my, um, you know, my almond boxed almond milk, everything. So much of the stuff was boxed or packaged, prepackaged. And I was just, I was so mad at the industry because I had, you know, I had the wool pulled over my eyes and I didn't realize everything I was doing that I felt like was so right. That was pushed by these lobbyists, pushed by these companies and corporations and governmental bodies was actually the thing that could be um, promoting inflammation in my body. It was so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, <laughs> we have, you know, I'm, we're probably going to talk about this more, but um like I was saying to you earlier, I had been vegan, um, or vegetarian. Yeah. Vegetarian and vegan before I started managing, um, endometriosis. Um, but in all of my, like in my book and my course materials and my, um, podcasts and stuff, I, I, you know, I say, this is how, you know, this is the best way to eat red meat for the nutritional benefits. This is the information that we have. And if you're, you know, if you're vegetarian or vegan for whatever reason it is, here's the, um, here's kind of the best way to do it. Um, but even as, uh, even when I was fully vegan, like up to a year and a half ago, I had to start eating meat for the, um, when I was healing my SIBO because I was having a really hard time with mm -hmm. digesting plant proteins. And, um, really interestingly, my, despite, you know, I haven't really met anyone who's <laughs> eats healthier than I do, but despite doing as much as I could, um, my B12, my folate, my ferritin, and my, I think of what the other one was, they were all going downhill. So literally I've got like these reports <laughs> from like over across a span of 10 years, you can look at my medical records and it's just a downhill slope wow. and, um, it really like really shocking. And I mean, I haven't been absorbing my food properly. Like my gut. Were just... you supplementing simultaneously? Yeah, I was supplementing. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I was doing everything so well and I was yeah. even, you know, I worked with Jessica Drummond. I mean, she was obviously my tutor, but I worked with her as a patient at one point. And she was like, she was like, at first she was like, what, what are you coming with me? Like, why are you coming to me? Cause I've seen what you eat. Like you're, you're doing great. <laughs> like, and I was like, well, and then, you know, we got into it, but, um, I just, I mean, I am hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide, uh, SIBO. I mean, I do have a little bit methane, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. So, I've always had like very like loose stools. So always like, you know, losing a lot of my food in that way, but also just struggling to, to break down my food and absorb my food. Mm -hmm. Um, so really it was that and, um, kind of seeing that, okay, this is not getting better. You know, this is not getting yeah. better as much as I'm like trained, you know, trained health coach. I'm taking the best of the best in terms of supplements. I'm doing all of the right things. This, these levels are not, not improving. Um, I think it's such an important, it's such an important message. Cause I had, I don't have the lab results to show it, but I was doing, I had heard supplementing is fine. Like you can supplement and you'll, you know, and you might not be getting all your nutrients. So I, you know, I had my iron, I had my B vitamins, but I was on the same downhill, downhill, downhill. And then, um, you know, I had my iron checked and it was super low and I was supplementing with iron. So it's those things of 
there's, there's, you know, cofactors within animal foods that can help us absorb those nutrients. And, you know, it's, you can't necessarily just take an isolated nutrient and expect your body to absorb it and utilize it to its fullest, which is why, you know, you hear things like eat iron with vitamin C, or, you know, there's just different, different compatibilities. And there's so much we don't know about food. When you hear food is medicine, you don't hear supplements are medicine. But in my head, I had been taking a lot of supplements and it wasn't until I did like you start eating animal products again. And it was squeamish and it was a challenging thing to get over at first, but feeling so much better. And, you know, I like that you have your test results there. You can actually see the swing, the swing up for me. It was those clouds lifting and being like, oh my God, I'm coming back to life. Like I was not surviving as a vegetarian vegan uh, with supplements that was not working. Yeah. I mean, I, so I haven't retested. So I took this, this, well, my last set of tests were lot last year coming up to a year so I'm gonna retest um so I haven't seen it go up yet I like I don't know yet um it'd be really interesting if it if it hasn't gone up I'm not eating a ton of meat because I still find it I don't like the taste um mm-hmm. I don't find it particularly particularly pleasant but I'm eating like red meat two to three times a week um I'm eating fish about four times a week and mm-hmm. poultry about once a week. Um, and I, I eat eggs as well. Um, but I'm not, you know, it's not with every meal. It's, you know, it's like weekend I have the red meat and maybe some chicken or on Sunday or something. And then during the week it's kind of fish and eggs and um the plant proteins that I can I can tolerate. But um where was I going with this? Oh, but so even, you know even for me as someone who was very, very educated and aware in terms of nutrition and how to do this, you know, how to do this well, I was still struggling. And and I think my concern is that veganism is really popular from an ethical standpoint, which I totally totally I mean both of us understand that mm-hmm. because that and in was... the end of the world most of us are so sensitive we really are yeah it, it just makes sense when you hear red meat's bad and you're sensitive like veganism seems like a pretty neat option exactly but what I think like even you know even broader than the endo community community is that people are thinking if they just cut out meat and go vegan they're going to be healthier but i'm seeing people around me in in my social circle and my family who are just swapping to like ultra processed foods like mm-hmm. you know really highly processed foods and i'm like oh my god it would be it would be better if you had carried on eating meat i you know yes. we could have done yeah. some tips of how to like how to like cook beyond it in burger a- i think the yeah. second is like vegetable oil and it's <laughs> like just so prominent it's it's not really that they're eating more plants or more whole food they're just swapping the meat so they're still right. having the chips and the baked beans with like i don't know like a fake piece of chicken right and it's not really the diet isn't really improving and it's not it's it's not the consumer's fault it's just no, this misinformation and and this com- confusion um but i mean that was just a, a long tangent to say yeah it's the processed foods right it's it's not demonizing these whole foods it's it's the it's the processed stuff and um I you know out of full um I wanted to make sure we give a really balanced um conversation here and we're going to get into the nutritional benefits of red meat in a minute so I probably should have waited but um I will I will say that I feel better in the knowledge of what I, you know, what I'm doing 
for my body because a long time I put kind of my ethics before my health but I don't I haven't noticed a physical difference like I don't feel different physically but I will say that I have been dealing with a POTS diagnosis in the past 12 months an MCAS diagnosis um you know really severe IC which thankfully is starting to get under control in the past 12 months um you know SIBO treatment I'm missing another condition I just can't think what it is so there's been a lot going on Mm -hmm. and in the past I guess two years to 18 months they've been at their absolute peak so I have probably been you know endometriosis in comparison to what I've been for me I know it's not for the people listening but for me endometriosis has been a walk in the park in comparison to what I've been dealing with in the past two years and so I it is kind of hard to know what's affecting what right it's hard to gauge what you're doing exactly everything you're dealing with right now yeah I'm so sorry by the way that you are dealing with that I realize it's hard it's hard when you're dealing with you know an avalanche of those types of diseases yeah and but I think from a from a knowledge point of view I feel like okay I'm my body I I'm giving my body the resources that it needs to best deal with these Mm -hmm. um I mean, I certainly will say it's been much easier to balance my blood sugar, much easier to balance yes. my blood sugar. And, and I mean, that's a no brainer, right? <laughs> you're, you're having this protein source that doesn't have the extra carbs that can cause yeah. some of the difficulties if you're just having a plate full of, you know, carbohydrates that aren't too well balanced. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. Let's let's get into the nutritional benefit of red meat because we've done, you know, we've dispelled the myths, but it'd be great to hear, okay, so why why might we want to consider bringing some red meat in? I think you touching on blood sugar is a really great um, kind of diving into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so blood sugar dysregulation is actually really associated with endometriosis as a disease, which is not often talked about. We kind of hear about yeah. blood sugar regulation in PCOS or diabetes. Um, but as a disease, um, it's, it's actually really fascinating. So, um, I don't know if, if you want me to go into the specifics, right. That of that right now, cause it's a little bit, should we have, should I talk about that for a few minutes? If you, yeah. I mean, if you've got time, we talk about blood sugar a lot, but I feel <laughs> like it's so important if, you know, we'll yeah. see. Um, okay. Yeah. So with blood sugar, you know, when you have the highs, you have high glucose and insulin. That's what the high is. And when you have the low, you have um, low glucose and insulin, which makes your stress hormones go high. Mm -hmm. So just to talk about the high level right now, say you eat a, you know, a a meal that's very high in carbohydrates and you have a blood sugar spike and now you have high glucose and insulin. So glucose uh, is the sugar and your body does not respond well to too much sugar in your bloodstream, which is why it tries to shuttle it out as fast as it can. Um, And the reason for this is, is that glucose actually reacts to proteins through this process of glycation. It is, um, it creates something called ages. 
advanced glycation end products, not important. I'll just call them ages. And ages are really, really damaging. They connect to a receptor called rage, age meets rage, and it produces a <laughs> ton of free radicals. So in diabetics where they actually have, you know, your limbs amputated because of poor circulation, it's actually because the free radical damage, um, it destroyed the circulation so much that you lose blood flow and oxygen to your feet, um, you know, and you have to get them amputated. That's why. Wow, so women crazy. with endometriosis actually have way more rage receptors in our peritoneal fluid and within certain endometriosis lesions. So this is like ground zero for endometriosis, right? It's like in your pelvic cavity, in your abdominal cavity and in your endometriosis lesions. So if you have high blood sugar, you have lots of glucose connecting to rage receptors, you're, you're going to be creating a ton of free radical damage. And remember free radicals, they create oxidative stress. Oxidative stress is what creates scar tissue and adhesions. Now it's a little bit of a disconnect. I used to think, well, endometriosis makes scar tissue adhesions. It doesn't, it's the inflammation and the free mm. radicals that are creating scar tissue adhesions. They're not stopping. So if you have high levels of glucose frequently, that can be a contributing cause. The high levels of insulin do something a little bit different and they promote the immune dysfunction that's associated with endometriosis, um, primarily through, um, I'm trying to say this way, it's not too boring. Basically, your lesions, oh, fascinating. Produce, okay. <laughs> your lesions will produce lactic acid. Every cell produces lactic acid, but something that endometriosis and cancer has in common is they produce way too much lactic acid. And they do this by being prompted by insulin. So if you have high insulin levels, your, your lesion that is already wanting to produce more lactic acid than normal will produce copious amounts. And what lactic acid does is it acts as an invisibility cloak so that your immune cleanup factors, your macrophages that should be coming in and taking out those endometriosis lesions. By the way, that's what your immune system should be doing as part of the immune dysfunction. Your immune system is not cleaning up those lesions as it should, which is how you support endometriosis regression, the shrinking of lesions that happens because your immune system is starting to function more properly. So by acting as an invisibility cloak, it contributes to some of that immune dysfunction that's going on. So if you have high levels of glucose and insulin once, not a big deal, right? You had cake at the birthday party. But if you have spikes all day long, you are provoking the proverbial crap out of your endometriosis disease, right? You could have mm -hmm. symptoms as well. Maybe it's provoking pain, maybe it's provoking stuff, but I'm just talking about disease pathology in general. Um, and we're not really told this, um, it's not talked about nearly enough. Um, there's a whole nother factor with, um, of course, the, the blood sugar drop in stress hormones. Stress hormones actually promote endometriosis growth and progression. Um, in one study, it was shown to do so more than estrogen, more than estrogen. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's not, again, a symptom management strategy. We're talking about disease management. And with blood sugar dysregulation being so prominent in our society, I had no idea how to not be hungry when I was a vegetarian. And I was like, you know, I felt like I was eating fine. I was eating healthy foods. I would eat processed foods. And I'd be like, I'm just eating whole foods, natural, like, you know, back to the earth sort of thing. And it was no different. I was just always hungry. And since eating meats and reintroducing animal foods in general, I have no problem going four to five hours without feeling a blood sugar crash, which you know, me 10 years ago would never believe I was, I just couldn't make it like an hour or two without feeling a little bit peckish, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I, I was stuck on this blood sugar roller coaster. I had no idea I was because it was so normalized. Um, but it was just constantly feel hungry. I could not, you know, two to three hours max without snacking on something is what I could go. So that's the great thing. What, you know, you mentioned about meat. it's the, it does not spike blood sugar. 
Um, and if you're eating beans and grains, even if they are healthful additions, you know, to a balanced plate, if those are your proteins, they are proteins that also spike blood sugar. Um, and then every other food that goes along, you know, sometimes this was what I would do is I eat rice and beans sort of thing as my protein, my proteins of choice. And then I, the, the vegetables on the side would be like sweet potato. That's exactly what I would, I mean, not in and recent fruit, years, right? but when I first, yeah, when I was like so new to like trying to eat well, yeah. I mean, it was in, I would have like falafel and hummus and sweet potato and yes. brown rice and black beans. Starch, 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 And like two, like three leaves of spinach on your falafel or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, this is, I mean, oh, this is when I was like employed. So this is probably about 10 years ago, but I remember multiple times thinking I was going to faint on the train home because oh. I was so hungry. I couldn't yeah. make it. I couldn't Shaking. make leaving worse to getting home. Yeah. Like, it, leaving work I think I said worse um leaving work to get in home I couldn't I couldn't make it that long without having food on me which is just unreal just scary but I see that all the time when clients come to me do you like I see so much blood sugar dysregulation yes and like one of my biggest recommendations I write in both of my books is meal spacing like for yeah. you know MMC functioning we're talking gut health we're talking blood sugar dysregulation get to four to five hours and we never, I, you know, have one client that was fine doing that. And everyone else is like, no, no, no. We're just starting at two and a half hours. I want you to make it two and a half. And we're slowly going to work because it's really freaky. Like they can't imagine going that long. You know, how do you put together a plate where you are um, not hungry? It's, um, it takes a while to get used to what your body wants. And um, it's just so, it's so common. And, um, you know, I see it recommended to online all the time, eat eat at three hours. And I sort of wonder how many people are setting a timer and eating at three hours because you want to prevent a blood sugar dip, prevent it before it happens. Mm -hmm. And I want to say coming to the other side, um, I will feel hungry. And then I'll think I should start making dinner soon. And it will be ready in 45 minutes to an hour. And that will be fine. I am totally fine just starting to be hungry and making it another hour without having a blood sugar drop. And that's yeah. normal. Your blood sugar shouldn't drop the second you're hungry. And before, like you were saying, like you felt like you were going to drop dead. And I was the mm -hmm. same. It's like the second hunger strikes, you are hangry, shaky, irritable. Like you're going to feel like you're faint. Like it happens all at once. So the recommendation to get ahead of the blood sugar drops is great if you have blood sugar dysregulation, but you don't want to have blood sugar dysregulation. Yeah, yeah. Like you want to have you never want to have that issue. And I, you know, if I get to six hours, I'll be like, I would be like, I'm really hungry now. I'm feeling kind of tired. Um, and that does happen to me, but I still not the severity. I probably just go to sleep more and be hungry and fall asleep rather than have um, those insane blood sugar dips that <laughs> like having a stroke kind of. Yeah. 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 It was awful. That ruled yeah. my life, but yeah. Um, okay, so blood sugar is obviously a, a really big one for the nutritional benefit of red meat. Um, yeah. And then you were talking about the the zinc and the iron. And, yeah. and I think like there are things that people don't necessarily think about, like, you know, vitamin A can be easier absorbed and like used by the body when it's coming from meat sources. Yes. Yeah, because you know, there's that old adage, eat a carrot for eyesight, and that's wrong. It's eat liver for eyesight. Um, the, the difference is that plants have a precursor to vitamin A called beta carotene, which is a really, really great phytonutrient and antioxidant. So no hate on beta carotene. It's phenomenal. What your body does, a healthy body goes, takes beta carotene and it goes through this really intense chemical reaction, um, to create 
uh, vitamin A, which is a retinoid. Um, and the retinoid is the, the potent form that you use in your body. So vitamin A is essential for immune function, something that we need a lot of. Um, it's for, for skin health, for detoxifying BPA. If you literally don't have enough retinoids in your system, you will not detox BPA. It will be stored in your system. So wow. you know, there's all those factors that are lining up with endometriosis saying, oh, check, 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 need vitamin A. Mm-hmm. And, um, if your body is really healthy, you can, it's something, I forget the amount, um, I feel bad. It's something like 32,000 micrograms of vitamin A a day or beta carotene will give you enough retinoids. If you're deficient, or your body is not making, you know, you, you say an unhealthy body cannot do these advanced chemical reactions because you need tons of nutrients to actually do each chemical reaction, right, um, yeah. you know, to turn something like a plant-based omega-3 into EPA or DHA. It is such a nuts reaction. It's why only 3% of plant-based omega-3s are turned into EPA or DHA in a healthy person. So same thing for beta carotene. You can turn very little of it into vitamin A if you are, you know, you have an overburdened body. For other people it wouldn't be that hard, but you actually can get all, you know, huge amounts of vitamin A from eating liver. It is, you know, and it's basically any animal liver. So when you see hear people eating cod liver oil, it's for vitamin A more than, mm. you know, the EPA or DHA, uh, chicken livers, a uh, beef liver. And I personally felt a huge profound impact from eating liver. And I was reached out to recently by some woman who said, the biggest impact she felt was starting to supplement with cod liver oil, which I recommend in one of my books. And she had never heard of it. And she said, just taking that supplement alone helped her immensely. So it's something that, you know, it could help some people more than others, depending on your level of deficiency, but across the board, it's something like 52% of Americans are deficient in vitamin A. So how many percent, you know, how much of a percentage of that is the chronic disease population? Like 90% of the chronic disease who's dealing with immune dysfunction, who's dealing with detoxification impairment, like, well, us, you know, so it's, it's really easy to get vitamin A through liver. Liver is so challenging to eat if you're not used to eating liver. So anyone who's fun-based, I honestly just, I would do a half a pound a week when I started, I was so intent on healing and I hated it. It was, I would just kind of slam it. But pills now you can get pills you couldn't before and there's some good brands out of like new zealand what is it called heart and soil or something um so if you if you google grass-fed liver pills i'm not saying this is the best like i actually prefer if you just start incorporating this meat into your life and you can buy local liver you know support local industries and local animal husbandry but in the meantime if you need those pills they exist out there and you can take six pills a day and it's like um one to two servings of liver a week just from swallowing some pills. So that's an option. Okay. I, I, I kind of, maybe we can get some recommendations from you and I'll put them in the show notes because um, I feel like recently there's been some kind of talk about how they're not, the, the doses aren't really enough in them. So it'd be great to have your recommendations that I can then put into the show notes. People can just buy some trusted brands because it's that whole, it's that whole thing that like, a, a good supplement company brings out something and then loads of supplement companies yep. jump on the bandwagon and it's not great quality. It's not great quality. And there is something to the, if you're talking about just quantity of, you know, where there's symptom management and then there's reversing chronic disease and putting chronic disease in clinical remission or partial remission versus, you know, of what's possible in your own body. And sometimes we need way, way, way more of a nutrient than someone without. So when we're talking quantity, um, you know, you might need a, a kind of high levels, higher levels of vitamin A. There's, if anyone out there is a little scared of vitamin A, it's, um, they've 
there's been a, a fear mongering around vitamin A. There is a study about birth defects and, um, and too much vitamin A. So vitamin A toxicity can happen only through synthetic vitamin A. There's been one case of vitamin A toxicity, and it was two scientists who were stuck in Alaska or somewhere in the north. Um, and they ate a polar bear liver between the two of them. Oh my God. And they got vitamin A toxicity because it turns out polar bears or these cold water um, animals, they store tons of vitamin A in their liver. So they actually had vitamin A toxicity. They ended up being fine. But um, but for, you can actually, there's a toxicity potential if you're taking synthetic vitamin A because you could just pop a bunch of pills, right? And it's a fat soluble vitamin. Um, it doesn't just flush out of your urine. So if you have any worry about that, zero worries. If you are eating liver, there's almost no, you can't eat too, too much liver. I would say if you're eating it with, you know, within a healthy framework, you could eat liver every single day and be fine. Your body will probably lead the charge and telling you, you know, when you're over it. But um, if you're trying to reverse chronic disease, I like to say, um, try to eat it two to three times a week for a few months, you know, see how you feel. And then, you know, if you can eat it once a week, liver. But the other thing that liver is really rich in is, well, it's actually many things. Liver is an absolute superfood, but um, it's really high in iron. And iron is another nutrient that those with endometriosis might need more than someone without endometriosis. And they did some really interesting research on monkeys. I really feel bad for these monkeys. I do. I know, yeah. It, it's like all this research on the endo animals. I just like, oh, I thank them for their lives because they're progressing in something that's very sad. Um but when they had monkeys and they, you know, they were, they had these monkeys live in the same place and they induced half of them with endometriosis and the other half didn't have endometriosis. They all ate the exact same foods. And um, then they tested their, their serum levels for iron and ferritin. And every single one who had endometriosis was anemic. Some wow. of them were outwardly anemic. Like they had signs, they were pale and slow and fatigued. And some of them had zero signs. They were asymptomatic anemic. So I, that's really possible that you can have low levels of iron and not, not be like, you know, the traditional fatigued feeling, um, which is a really important to note because sometimes we glance over it, but iron is absolutely essential for antioxidant activity. And I think this is a really important thing, especially for, for vegans and vegetarians who are often low in iron. But you can be eating all of the antioxidant rich foods in the whole world, but without iron, they cannot move around your body. And this is why reversing anemia is actually the, the way to heal the antioxidant deficient um, uh, symptoms if people are really low. So, um, so that goes back to endometriosis. If you're eating tons of antioxidants, but you don't have any iron, it literally doesn't matter. It's just like flushing antioxidants out of your system. It cannot get to where it needs to go. So yeah, you need to reverse the point. iron. Now, women who are menstruating need 18 milligrams of iron a day. Sorry, I feel like I'm just like throwing steps at you. But no, this is, a, no, it's incredible. I love it. So women who are menstruating need 18 milligrams of iron per day. If you are a menstruating woman who is uh, plant-based, you're going to need 32 um, a day, which is a huge amount. Let me see. I actually wrote, I wrote this down. Okay. So for the top ones, I recommend, you know, eat spinach or broccoli for iron. So 32 milligrams a day is equivalent to 55 cups of raw spinach, which cooks down to five cups. So five cups of cooked spinach this is every single day or 17 mm. cups of broccoli every day. Um, so it's really hard to meet those vegetarian levels of iron, but you can do so eating, you know, liver like twice a week or something like that. Okay. So you don't necessarily have to be eating the red meat every day. 
to reach no, that's your the, That's the beauty of organ meats is that it's like condensed nutrition that if mm. you ate organ meats and plants, like your, your nutritional status is just going to be through the roof. And, you know, there's the liver is, a, you know, has more of a potent taste, but heart is cool because it's really high in CoQ10 and CoQ10 is an antioxidant that um, is really helpful to the body and actually our levels of it wane with age. So that's one supplement is almost, you know, very often recommended as you get older, even like, you know, when you're around 30 to start taking CoQ10, but it's really high in heart. So, um, so you have these antioxidants, right? Zinc and red meat is very high in zinc. Um, and I, the organ meats too, but even just uh, muscle meat and zinc is an absolutely potent antioxidant as well. And it's one of those nutrients that we with endometriosis, um, I would say might, might be extra deficient in, but it's probably are deficient in because mm-hmm. there was, there was a study on women with endo, not monkeys. And they, um, they all tested so extremely low in zinc across the board that the researchers were kind of uh, like a little shocked and said, this should be something that a could be a clinical diagnostic marker, not saying you definitely have endo, but if you, mm-hmm. this is for suspected endo, like get this woman a diagnosis, like it's highly probable with her symptoms and she has this extreme iron deficiency. But the second part was so interesting that they said this could be a very easy treatment for um, for cases of unexplained infertility and endometriosis since so wow. many of us suffer from unexplained infertility, right? It's like, we don't have the, the actual uh, scar tissue adhesions preventing um, fertil- pregnancy from happening. This is unexplained. Well, it could be because we're so deficient in zinc since zinc is essential for procreation. If you are deficient in zinc, you will not get pregnant. And everyone in the study across the board was so deficient in zinc. It was like a shocking level. So, um, you know, so zinc that I have heard, I looked up, there's pumpkin seeds and oatmeal and kidney beans were like really highly recommended for zinc. So to meet your, your vegetarian needs, you need to eat one cup of pumpkin seeds a day, a whole cup every day, or 11 servings of oatmeal or six and a half cups of kidney beans. So that's like every day, right? And that's just to meet your daily needs, not your let's reverse deficiency needs. Yeah, um, yeah. And then red meat, just eating like six ounces of beef. So that could be one large serving or two small servings. Um, I probably would eat a six ounces in a sitting with like a you know a bunch of veggies on the side. Uh, that will offer you your full levels of zinc. And it's not the only source, right? Like there's um, oysters are incredible source of zinc. You just eat two, two oysters a day and that's your daily allotment of zinc. So, um, you know, I'm not here just pushing, it just has to be red meat, but since this is our conversation, yeah, yeah, uh, can really help for a reason, right? It's, I used to think meat was just protein and I could get protein elsewhere, but like these are, these are this like serious nutritional needs being met here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it, it is hard like admittedly listening to the like the kind of talking of the organ meats and stuff like and and how to do it I I it's taken me a long time to even really be able to eat beef like I I first started with games so I started with um venison and wild boar because I was trying to kind of do it the most effort like as ethically as possible so they were having like a very you know um natural life and there's a lot of strict regulation on like hunting over here um so i i'm not sure i could go down the organ meat route just yet but i would be interested in some really good quality pills you can get the organ meats from the hunted animals that's what we do here because my husband hunts 
Yeah. I mean, it's just the organ meats in general, like the actual yeah. organs. <laughs> I can't like, it's, it's just probably going to take me some time, but from a, from a pill perspective, like I could definitely, you know, yeah. bring that. And it, it, I sat with the notion of like, okay, I need to start eating meat for about two years before I was able to even mm-hmm. begin you know experimenting so I think it's really understandable if people are listening like just it's okay to just take it slow and dip your toe in but you can see That's from so this funny. conversation how how important it is and and how just kind of making this this blanket statement of like cut out this you know and cut out that and and it, it it's just a bit too black and white I don't it's it's rarely ever a good idea to take a black and white stance on something I feel um, especially a whole food group right like yeah it's, it's exactly. such an enormous food group we really I and mean, that's why I think our job as endo patients is unfortunately is saying well what what research backs that that recommendation up like mm-hmm. is it anecdotal because some people actually do feel triggered by meat and maybe that's something to talk about like yeah. creating an endo flare um, or other symptoms and like taking out red meat has actually really improved their symptoms so if they're listening to this being like actually it saved my life taking out red meat this is not the conversation right this the, the whole thing is about it's an incredibly helpful food um if you can tolerate it it is a wonderful addition to the endometriosis diet, so to speak, to an endometriosis framework. Mm-hmm. So, but there are reasons why people couldn't, couldn't tolerate it. Um, I had a client who would literally throw up after eating red meat and I wrote about her in my book. Um, but she had so little digestive function that yeah. she would eat a complex protein like, um, red meat and she would throw up and it was, you know, we immediately got her on hydrochloric acid supplementation, which is like a supplemental stomach acid. It sounds um, kind of gnarly if you haven't heard of it, but you know, you take one um, with your meal and it helps give your stomach a little more digestive oomph. And she was fine. She could digest it. She actually needed quite a few HCL as we rehabilitate her digestive function. But, you know, before that, she's like, I can't touch red meat. I literally throw up. So, um, so that's a very extreme version of it can be challenging to digest. And I don't know mm. if you experienced this, but I did when I was coming out of being vegetarian, I felt like it would sit in my stomach forever. Like I felt so overly full. Um, and then I'd feel like almost food sloshing around my stomach, like hours after I ate, it was not getting pushed into my small intestine. And wow. it was through discovering um, digestive enzymes and HCL that I was finally able to completely rehabilitate my digestive system. So I don't need those anymore. I can I can digest. It was, um, except during times of stress, I'll be, I'll be honest, but <laughs> I need my enzymes again. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I mean, we know that once you, when you stop eating a food, the body stops, especially a food group, right? Like animal yeah. protein, the body stops creating the digestive enzymes required for that food. And we kind of need to kickstart it again. Like, yeah. come on, <laughs> get going. So much B12 to make stomach acid. So if you have a B12 yes. deficiency or you're running low because you're not eating animal products, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then suddenly you can't digest them as well. And then you don't crave them and you're not hungry for them. And that goes back and forth. So, um, you know, supplementing with the nutrient, you need salt, you need B12, um, really to rehabilitate the stomach lining. If you've been taking antacids or um, ibuprofen, things that can you know atrophy the, the stomach mucosal lining that creates stomach acid. 
these are, you know, birth control pills. These are things we often take with endometriosis and then helping in the meantime with digestive enzymes. Every time you take, you eat a meal to, mm. you know, so you're rehabilitating it on the side. And then with each meal, you're supporting the digestive process. And I mean, uh, sorry, go on, carry on. Oh, no, I was just trying to think of another uh, example of people who um, I have heard of women getting endo flares from from eating red meat. And I never worked with any, but maybe you did. No, not really. I mean, really, to be honest, the place, the times that I see flares is to do with a, a meal that's a spike to their blood sugar. Mm. I, I mm. see it all the time and you know they come on their period they eat a meal that's like I don't know a bowl of oats or something and they get they get a pain flare um Mm -hmm. and it happens relatively quickly and then as soon as we start working on their blood sugar (laughs) that stops um but no I can't think of I can't think of a client who reacts badly to red red meat um much more of just you know it's mainly if they're not eating red meat when they come to me, it was mainly down to an ethical reason or or they they're worried about the the impact. Um, but it's not normally because they can't can't digest it. I will say I do see stomach acid, you know, problems, not just in relation to red meat, but just people having low stomach acid levels um because of the stress. Because, you know, yeah. just yeah. living with the stress and the pain, um, that but deplete stomach acid anyway. So I feel like most people with endometriosis, you know, SIBO aside, that's a, you know, a whole other thing, but, and, and gut dysposis aside, but the digestive function is not great no, kind of across the board. I totally agree. And it could be another thing that it, that, you know, a lot of us, I think have those feelings from childhood and then the endometriosis can play into it more. It's like, um, we're sensitive or stressed already. And then the digestion is down and the dysbiosis is so connected with endometriosis in every way. Like what came first, the chicken or the egg thing. And it's just all, it's also connected and that how, just how the stress digestion, oh, how it starts, you know, like I, I just had a, a SIBO relapse from when my, my father died, you know, knowing everything I'm that so I know sorry. about stress. Yeah. I mean, it happens. These things happen in life and what we all have our personal weaknesses and my stress weakness is my stomach. And I feel it, you know, I absolutely feel myself not digesting. I know that I'm not salivating. I know I just swallowed like a chunk of food, mm. <laughs> partially chewed, but it's like when you're in those really high stress, really high stress moments, it's hard to come out of it. But um, I love what you do of just, we all need to make sure that our life that that should be a not very often feeling right. Like those high levels of stress that come in not necessarily an everyday occurrence, which is kind of how I used to think life was all the time, was a high stress occurrence. Um, So it feels nice and balanced to not be there anymore, but I do think that was a big part of, um, yeah, rehabilitating my gut and I should bring in that that mental space. I do remember when I just started eating meat again and there was the stress around eating the meat, right? Like- Mm -hmm. um, That's a big thing, I think. Yes, like a clean vegetarian, quote unquote, for so long. And suddenly, so I would, um, I don't know what you did. I would bless my food. I would made like a really big effort about thanking it. Um, I was very lucky to be able to afford grass-fed meat, which is we live on Kauai. There's lots of grass and my husband hunted. So, you know, there wasn't any potential cruelty or factory farm stuff. Um, But, you know, if you can't afford that type of meat and you are eating factory farm meat because it's, you know, it's what's available to you, um, just 
blessing it. That was like a big thing for me sitting down and before I ate it, just thanking it for its life and trying to be a little spiritual about it and thanking it for healing me. And I did, I do think that helped. It was almost like a little prayer before eating anyways, that helped me bless my meal, but it's kind of shifted my perspective from like a, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this to a, to a like, okay, I'm healing my body. This needs to happen. And we just have to go for it. Yeah. And I, I think that everyone will kind of, some people won't be, you know, some, for some people that this, you know, they can't kind of get over that and they will choose to be vegetarian. And, you know, there's, there's options for that. Um, but I think for me, it was doing as much, much research as possible. I mean, kind of an overwhelming amount of research and trying to find companies that I really trusted. Um, and, you know, how much of that stuff could I get? Because I think, and this kind of, I, do, I know we need to wrap up now. So just let me know when you need to jump off. But this kind of um, rolls into what kind of meat should we be looking at? And like you said, if if you do need to eat factory farms, like, is that an option if someone can't afford grass-fed yeah. or organic? Because there's been research and the nutritional kind of composition of grass-fed meat versus factory farm meat is different. So yeah. how mm-hmm. could that influence someone's like nutrition and and what should they be looking for? So, so I I went pretty in depth in this research because I really was looking for anything that was saying, don't eat this red meat if you have endometriosis. And at the end of the day, I couldn't find anything to even negate factory farmed meat. And so hear me out because of course there's, I think a lot of people that listen to you or, you know, wake into the ethical reality of that. Um, the, the truth is factory farmed animals have a, you know, a worse fatty acid composition. Okay. So we already talked about the omega, um, you know, they're higher in omega sixes a little bit. They have more palmitic acid. They have more saturated fat in general and less monounsaturated fat. Um, they have more toxins stored in their fat. Um, that is a reality as well. Um, however, if you cook factory farm meat and you drain all the fat, you buy the leanest cuts you can you're still going to be better off than me saying don't eat factory farm meat and having people who literally can't afford organic and grass-fed saying, okay, well, I'm now I'm going to eat um, processed foods that I can find, right? Like all the processed refined stuff, because that's what is more affordable. Even fresh vegetables can be expensive to people who are living you know, at the poverty level or below who can't mm. afford, literally can't afford organic and uh, grass-fed meats. So if that's you listening to this, I give you permission to eat factory farm meat. Hopefully you need to start feeling better. Um, and you know, you can make, you know, some changes from there. See how you feel doing that. Drain the fat and buy lean cuts. That's the biggest takeaway. The, so then if you're looking at tiers, the second tier up is going to be organic. Organic has less, um, chemicals stored in the fat. Um, it can be leaner or not. Um, and it does have a better nutrient profile. So that's organic. The thing about organic to know is that these animals are often, they can still be factory farmed. They're just fed organic grains. Um, so, you know, there's there's a little bit of, uh, I think, marketing that makes organic seem a lot better for the animals. The mm. so grass-fed is the absolute best. These are animals living outside. They're walking a lot. They're in the sunshine. They have way more vitamin D, way more vitamin K, way more antioxidants in them. You don't have to drain the fat. Like these animals are very healthy. 
Um, those are going to be your absolute top priority. So if you can afford grass-fed or you have easy access to it, that's going to be your number one. Um, second organic, third is factory farmed. Um, that's, you know, that's the, the way that I have laid out the recommendations. Some of us have really easy access to grass-fed. Like I said, here on Kauai, we have tons of grass and it's really not expensive. It's actually more expensive to buy imported beef than grass-fed. And I kind of assume it would be like that in the UK because you guys have so much grass and you have all those lamb and, and sheep. Yeah, <laughs> maybe try, not. I mean, trying to find grass-fed meat is quite difficult, but what you can find is free-range organic meat. So in the supermarkets, um, I I would recommend if someone is going to buy supermarket meat in the UK, your best option is Waitrose. Um, and I know Waitrose isn't cheap. I will say they've just reduced a lot of their prices because of the whole kind of everything we're going through over here. But, you know, you could buy your, you could buy your vegetables from Aldi or Lidl or wherever you want. But um, Waitrose, their meat is free range um, and they can, you know, eat grass, but they are like supplemented to a degree with some grain. It's, it's kind of hard to get all of the information. It's like mm -hmm. a little bit vague, but they have like the highest rating in, in the UK for like, um, ethical, like kind of treatment and like how much space they have and things like that. Um, and that all of their organic is like outdoor. It's just that it also is supplemented with other foods. Mm -hmm. Um, have a look at the different types of like animals because there's kind of different information depending on the, the animal you're looking at. Um, it's difficult to find organic and grass-fed. And if you're going to be looking for a hundred percent grass-fed, you're going to be needing to go online. So I'll put a couple of links in the show notes. Um, Hill Farm Foods, they're good. Um, they're not certified organic, but they don't use any antibiotics or any hormones. Um, Gaze Hill and why can't I think Coombe Farm um those are all really good ones in the UK but most of it if you're going to try and find like grass-fed it's online most of the supermarket ones are supplemented with grain mm. so but Waitrose yeah, is definitely I'll, the I'll best you can some... find oh sorry I was just saying Waitrose is definitely the best if you're going to go for a supermarket brand Waitrose is going to be the best cool yeah I was going to I'll send you some American options too. That you can just throw in your show notes. Okay, amazing. And um, I know that we need to wrap up. I've got, do you have to yeah, one my, more question? Oh, come back. Yes, let's do one more question. Okay, so this wasn't kind of in our discussion previously, but um, there's a lot of research on advanced glycation end products in the cooking methods of meat. Um, yeah. And that we know does raise inflammation. So frying- mm -hmm frying a steak versus having, I don't know, a stew is going to be very different. So I just wondered if you got any advice for people on how to cook their meat for the most kind of anti-inflammatory positive yeah. effects on the body. Yes. So well, to go back to, so, um, so frying meat has been most implicated in the creation of ages, you know, anything that like blackens or chars a food, it's the same thing. It's the, the sugar and the heat of the protein. It, it fries things. And that's actually what it does inside our body. So blood sugar dysregulation is the number one way to increase ages in the bodies. Um, eating ages is secondary. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have, if you're, you know, you have a choice, something like a fried charred steak or burger, um, the people who like their bacon extra crispy, that does increase ages, obviously. So the best thing to do, well, um, 
I don't know. I have a time with best and not. Um, so what I like to, to recommend for kind of an all around balance is that you to get cuts that are the cheapest and they're the highest in glycine are actually the really rough cuts. So you're talking about the roasts, the briskets, um, kind of the off cuts that aren't so tender, like a steak mm-hmm. tenderloin or something. And the they're really rough because they're super high in collagen and collagen is the high in that nutrient glycine, which is absolutely essential for uh, fighting inflammation. Um, the way you cook these prevents ages from being um, created because you actually cook them in that stew style, very low heats for a long time. And that's what that, it creates that melt in your mouth feel when the meat melts off of the bone. Or if you have, um, you know, here in Hawaii, we eat Kahlua pork all the time and it's shredded pork or shredded beef where it's very tender and um, kind of flaking and falling apart. That's how, you know, you've cleaved all the proteins and you can really absorb that glycine now. It also, you know, roast that comes with that like gelatinous gravy at the bottom. Mm-hmm. When it's gelatinous, it's really high in, um, in the glycine. So those are, it's kind of three tips in one to avoid ages, to increase your, your glycine and collagen intake and to um, reduce costs because it is expensive to buy something like steak. I rarely eat some, you know, eat steak um, unless my husband hunts it, but it's, um, you know, it's these really rough cuts that are pretty darn cheap um, and they can feed a whole family or they could feed you with leftovers for days. If you, you know, you make a roast like that. Um, so that's what I would recommend as a helpful, a helpful way to prepare meat. Okay, perfect. And lots of herbs and spices, they've been shown to really um, help to lower those ages as well and marinate in in vinegars and acids as well as some kind of extra, extra tips for people. So loving, loving on the herbs and spices. They're always helpful. Um, Well, Katie, it has been so good talking to you. I feel like you're just this endo encyclopedia like you're just an endo (laughs) genius and it's just been so good to have you on um and thank you for kind of being the person to talk about this this topic that can be a bit scary to talk about public you know I kind of like talk about in my books and my coaching and and my course but I'm always scared to bring it up on social media because I'm like someone's going to come and just like murder me in my sleep um so you know I think that you're doing some great work talking about the hard stuff um so thank you and and where can people find you if they want to work with you or find out more about your you know what you do and read your incredible book Mm, yeah. Um, my blog is healendo.com. Pretty straightforward. It's free. There's just like hundreds of blogs about endometriosis, diet, lifestyle, integrative care. And then there's links to my book through there. I also have a really extensive blog on uh, meat in general. I think we didn't touch on some of the things like dioxins in meat, hormone levels in meat. Um, uh, prostaglandins was one that Mm -hmm. uh, I dug into the research that meat can potentially increase prostaglandin. So I break the myths of all of those. If, if you're wondering why we didn't touch on those, it's all there. We can attach that to the show notes. Um, and then, yeah, my book is just on Amazon, uh, heal endo and anti-inflammatory approach to healing from endometriosis. Thank you so much. And yeah, I mean, there's, there was kind of so much to talk about today. We have, yeah, sorry for the information dump. I have this terrible tendency to do No, that. no, it was incredible. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a talker. So um, I'm sorry we didn't get to cover everything that, you know, you wanted, but I've read that blog. It's incredible. I highly recommend that everyone goes to read it. And um, I hope that this has been a balanced conversation that kind of have considered all sides. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and live in well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 